My name is Steve Huber, and I'm the director of the Liberty Network. There are six Liberty churches, a couple in the process of being planted now, and uh, a few more in development. I'm also the pastor of Liberty Church East, which, humanly speaking, is the mother church of Liberty Harrisburg. We love you guys. We pray for you guys regularly. We are, are connected with your leaders, and you have some people. Uh, if you're new to Liberty, just know you have some people who, who root for you, pray for you, seek to walk with your leaders as you, I know, recently celebrated three years, right? Three years uh, since you guys launched, which is super exciting. And the Liberty Churches, um, I mentioned that there's six, a couple more in development. I'm just going to tell you a couple things that are going on and give you a couple challenges, okay? The couple things going on. We are a network together to go after some things together that we couldn't do as just churches of 200 people uh, alone. One of those things is we plant churches together. We pray really hard and serve really hard to start more churches so that more people would hear about Jesus. We, we work really hard and pray and give and serve to start churches so that more people would hear the, about the best news in the universe. And that's that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for the sins of the world, and he rose from the dead. And we do that together. So I know that uh, Barry Knoll, who is gathering a team in Lower Bucks County, uh, the towns are Warminster, or Warrington, he's gathering a team. You guys welcomed him, I think a couple months ago, I think he jumped up on stage and just shared a little bit of vision. You really welcomed him and an encouragement to him. Uh, pray for Liberty Bucks County, which, which is just a small team right now. Also pray for a new work in the Mount Airy slash Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. Ryan Egley, who hung out at Liberty East for about six years, is gathering a team to start another church in that neighborhood, and it'll be connected uh, with Liberty Fairmount. I, in 2002, I moved to the Fairmount neighborhood and helped start the first Liberty Church, and that church is going to start a campus in another neighborhood in Philadelphia. Um, as well, this is a cool thing that's, that's new for our network. We have a couple church planning interns, a couple residents, two men doing church planting residencies. One rode out in the train with me this morning. Evan Curry, I'm going to have you stand up. Welcome Evan Curry here today. Um, he's born and raised in northeast Philadelphia and is praying about planting a church in Philadelphia. He's been a pastor. He's been through seminary. He's hanging out with Liberty for a year or two uh, to do some things, to learn some things, and we pray plant a Liberty church in the future. I think he's going to preach here over the summer. And I know uh, Matt Luloyan's getting a little well-deserved R&R this weekend. I'm really glad that he and Shay were able to go away and visit some friends and rest. By the way, Matt Luloyan is one hard-working dude. He really is. Um, and I just love that guy. And I'm really glad they got a chance to get away. So these are things to pray about. Look, this, this is the vision. The gospel means that when you connect with God through Jesus, he makes you part of what he's doing in the world. When you connect with God through Jesus, he makes you part of what he's doing. God's doing stuff. And there's some personal invitation and challenge in that. There's a challenge for the church. There's a personal vision element of that. There's a church vision part. The personal vision is this. What's, what's, our, what's our mission statement? Your mission statement is, like all the Liberty Churches, to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus, right, in the Harrisburg region. You guys, your, your vision is to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus, to be the hug of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus in your region, the tears of Jesus, mourn with those who mourn, share the words of Jesus, and... That, that's a very personal thing about your vision for your own life, like how you spend your time, what kind of stuff you do. Like it's, it's really meaningful how you interact with your family, your neighbors. That's all of a sudden now a big deal, knowing that God wants to work through us, 
through you to reflect his love to others. It's also, it's a vision for your church. This is what I'm praying for you, and this is what I want to challenge you guys to pray for yourselves. I'm praying that you'll, you'll see guys like Evan Curry and go, huh, I, I want one of those. I want uh, Liberty Harrisburg, it'd be great to have a church planning residency to have other people that God is raising up to be in ministry, hang out with you that you could spin out and to pray in a different way for your city, for your region. I, I do want to challenge you to pray in a big way for your city, your region, this part of the state, to think about what are what, what other churches has God given us that don't have the Liberty Key on them? What, what churches are there around here that we could partner with to lift up Jesus in our region, in our city? Some of that's already happening. And where are places, could we partner with others to start more churches? So I, I just want to share that with you. The Easter outreach, uh, let me just share a little bit about this. This is an example of another thing that the network does, and we do more together than we could do alone. The Easter outreach, this year it's 3,000 meals. Between this region and Philadelphia region, 3,000 meals, over 20 churches are partnering together. Now, eventually, some of the money that you guys give, it's, it's going to be directed locally. And I don't know how much you guys are going to end up giving. Some might wind up being blessing very poor churches in Philadelphia. Some of the churches that we're partnering with, they're very rich in Jesus, but they're not very rich financially. And yet these pastors are like, we are in, we are so about this Easter outreach and demonstrating that Easter is good news. The church together, we're demonstrating in a physical way. It's like Jesus, Jesus provided a meal for people, right? It's the feeding of the 5,000. There was that other time, the feeding of the 4,000. It was a sign. We are literally demonstrating the Easter is good news. And we don't want it to be just this flash in the pan, a one-time thing, but a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's about relationships with people. But if, if you give to that, and this is what's being announced to all the Liberty Churches this morning, we're also helping churches without financial means love their neighbors and partnering together. Now, as you guys form, form more partnerships in your region... Uh, there'll be more and more, you know, you'll have your own churches that you're partnering with, that you're walking with, and that together you want to do these kind of projects with. But the Liberty Network, we plant churches, we do regional mercy and justice things, and we all also partner internationally um, in, in some pretty exciting ways. And you know that the, the Easter outreach, some of the money raised for that goes to funding three new water wells in South Sudan, which happens to be the world's youngest country. It's the youngest country in the world. It's about as old as this church, about three years old. And it's gonna, we're going to fund together three new water wells in South Sudan. Um, I want to give you a personal update, too. I shared with you, just because I know and love you guys and some of your leaders have know my family and have loved me well, that um, last year my eldest daughter had some significant struggles, and she's been having significant struggles for a while. All this is very, has been public with mental illness and uh, then drug abuse, substance abuse because of that. And I just want to share with you, um, this has been one of the hardest years of my life but God has really showed up in that. And uh, someone just grabbed me at past the peace, came up to me and was like, how is your daughter? I've been praying faithfully for you. And I just want to thank you. I just want to share the news. She's doing really, really well. She's doing really, really well. I'm really grateful for your love and prayers. Uh, she's in sober living, living with some Christian girls. And she's uh, uh, she just shared like, 
She's seeking to seek the healing of Jesus, and she's experiencing it. Those are the words of her mouth. Like, I'm experiencing the healing of Jesus, and um, I want to follow Jesus and love Jesus. And she knows in a new way of his love for her. So thank you for uh, your prayers. Part of uh, leaders can... um, you know, I obviously never would have like written this into my story, but how we share our story, I'm aware of, sets a culture for the church. Like the, we and all the Liberty churches, we went out of a culture where we're actually honest about what's going on, and we help each other get through it. And by God's grace, I've experienced that. And um, isn't that what we want to happen in all the Liberty churches? So thank you for praying for her. Um, she's doing a lot better. And so I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for your church and big things for your church. And I'm going to pray that God would speak to us as we uh, listen to God's word. Uh, Evan will be here to probably preach for you guys a couple times this summer. That'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll pray for Matt and Shay Lewine while they're away this weekend as well. Uh, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for Matt and Shay Lewine. We pray that you would bless their time away. We pray for the whole leadership team here at Liberty Harrisburg. You prune those who are fruitful that they would be more fruitful. Do that in me. Do that in all of us. Uh, Lord, we do lift up before you these partnerships. 3,000 meals delivered over Easter weekend to, to demonstrate in a physical way that Easter is good news. To love people in your name to literally feed the hungry, to make new friendships and form new relationships. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. This is a privilege that we get to do this for you. We pray you would bless it. I pray that you would bless new relationships in Lemoyne. Please open doors. And we pray that this would not be a weekend thing, but a growing lifestyle in us all. Lord, we do ask that. I do pray for Harrisburg, for this region, for this city, for this church. Give the leaders and the people of this church a big heart to pray for their region. Give them a holy unrest to pray for people they don't know, for places that are farther away, to pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done, for your name to be hallowed in this place, in this area, in this region. Uh, Give them the big heart to intercede for your sake, for this part of their state. And Lord, speak to us now, we ask. Speak to us in your word. We pray that with expectation, and we pray that with great need. Please come, we ask, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to ask you to turn to page 898. John 12, page 898 in the Bibles that are on the floor. John chapter 12. And you've been going through a series on John. John shows us who Jesus is. That's been the question. Who is Jesus? And John kind of kicks it into slow-mo at the the, the events, the, the amount of time that's passing slows down. There's about half the gospel ahead, but he really spends a lot of time on Jesus' last days. and Some of his last time with his disciples were, this is We're going to look at a passage which is about Palm Sunday, the first day of the last week of Jesus' regular ministry on earth. And I'm going to start reading at verse 9 of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, 
Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is God's word. Let's just take a break here. I'm going to read other parts of this chapter, but let's just reflect on this for a second. There's really no question that Jesus has made an impact on the world, right? Few people uh, would argue with that at all. I'm, my name's Steve. I'm named after a follower of Jesus, for instance. This is the year 2015. That's counting the years from the birth of Jesus. I took a train from Philadelphia. There was a, a city named Philadelphia that had a church in Jesus that winds up in, winds up in the Bible. That's what, why Philadelphia was named Philadelphia. Has anyone in history shaped history more? Jesus has inspired more art and more music, more poems than anyone. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, you know, most everyone puts him in the top three of the most influential people in history, if not number one. His book is the most popular book of all time. I was reading recently how the Guinness World Book of Records they realized they had grossly underestimated the number of Bibles that have been printed in history. Just in the past 200 years, okay, 2015 to 1815, they estimate 5 billion Bibles have been printed. So it's like, it's not, there's no other book even close, no other book remotely close to the Bible in terms of the most, the book that's been printed the most in history. That's 5 billion, not counting eight, the 1800 years before that, going back to the birth of Jesus. Over 2,000 languages have part of the Bible translated. There's no other book like that. Millions and millions and millions and millions will worship in the name of Jesus today. Millions will cry out for help in the name of Jesus. And millions will swear in his name today all over the world. Has anyone made an impact on the world like Jesus? And I would argue, is anyone more put down than Jesus? We're going to see today, Jesus is both lifted up, he's lifted up in a way that no one else is, and yet he's put down. He's put down in history in a way that no one else is, and also, he's lifted up. Both things are true. Jesus inspires more debate more opposition, more drama. We just read about this day in the life of Jesus, and he's being hailed, and people are, are, are clapping and cheering, and his death is being plotted. Same day. That's a weird day. You know, Both those things are going on. A ticker tape parade for you and another group of people saying, if we can only rid the earth of you forever, that would be awesome. It's still like that today. If people are divided on Jesus, if you take a poll of PhDs, they'll be divided on Jesus. The man on the street is divided on Jesus. And people say crazy stuff. Both the PhDs and the man on the street. There's a wide range of opinion on who Jesus is and what he's about. And a lot of false impressions. A lot of false impressions. People have always said things completely wrong about Jesus. Hey, man on the street, what's Jesus about? Well, he wants us to love other people. And so Christians believe, right, if you like obey the commandments, God will forgive you. 
That's actually not it at all. You know, game show fail. Wrong. That's actually it's a common thing to say, but it's a wrong answer. That's not what Jesus said. People have always said wrong things about Jesus. He's always been put down. He forces these extreme reactions. His claims are impossible to remain neutral about. Claiming to be the meaning of life and the salvation of the world, that's a big claim. You don't have other friends who do that. You don't, you know? And he, he has a big ask. He claims, and we're going to read later in this chapter, Jesus claims that he's worth everything. That he's actually worth rearranging your whole life for. You don't have other friends who actually say, actually, it would be re- worth you rearranging everything in your life to prove your loyalty to me. And if it came to it, it would be worth dying for me. You, know, you don't have other friends who say that. Uh, it's an abnormally large claim, and it's impossible to remain neutral. It pushes you to either reject it or submit to it. It just does. You know, imagine you, you, if you have a, had a friend, Bob. Hey, yeah, Bob's a lot of fun. I love Bob. You've got to meet Bob. He's a lot of fun at parties. He tells great stories. There is this one thing. He does claim to be the answer to the world's problems. Don't get him on that topic. You know? It's... Right? It, you zoom out for a second. It's an l- absurdly large claim. It's huge. And Jesus makes these claims. And it's true. Both things are true in this passage. The whole world's going after him. And the whole world hates him. It couldn't be more true today. He's lifted up and yet put down. He's put down and yet he's lifted up. And this isn't just, oh, that's an interesting historical note. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I've never thought about it that way. I kind of see where you're going with that. I guess that is true. Jesus has inspired all this art, all this poetry. He has inspired all these people. All these people are going to pray to him and sing their songs in their language today. The Moro in South Sudan, a group of about 100,000 people. That, and when I went to South Sudan, did a pastoral training. The Moro... Africans are going to sing their songs in their language today. In other languages, none of us, most of us, haven't even heard of. All that's going to happen. And yet, Jesus will be spoken against today all over the world. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's kind of, that's true. I see that pattern. But see, this is the thing. It's not just a pattern. It's a personal crossroads. It's not just a pattern to acknowledge. It's a very personal choice. You've got to personally either accept it or reject it. Will you accept Jesus as the way to God and rearrange your whole life? Jesus isn't mysterious about what he's asking for. He doesn't try to trick you. It's not like one of those radio ads where he talks really fast. You can't really tell what the real deal is. Or, you know, we don't know. No, he just plainly asks For you to follow him. And he claims he'll give you everything. And even if you lost everything to have him, it would be totally worth it. You know that. That's what he asked for. What will he mean to you? Everything. What will he give you? Everything. What's he worth? Everything. What's it mean to lift him up? Why does the world put him down? Let's dive in. Let's look at this. Look at this first paragraph. Okay, so there's two crowds of people. There's the crowd of people that had heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. John Alexander, one of the pastors at Liberty East, preached on this passage a few weeks ago. It's recorded in John chapter 11. Lazarus is risen from the dead. That's big news. People are talking about that. This guy was dead. He was in the tomb for days And he came out in front of everybody. So the word's gotten out, okay? And people are flocking to Lazarus. Can you imagine, like, that's your reputation. You were the guy who was dead, and now you're not dead. Like, no one's going to forget that about you. 
You know, you're going to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, you heard about that thing. Yeah, that's Lazarus. So people are, are freaking out about Lazarus, and word's getting out about Lazarus. And there's the people who were there, and there's the people who heard about it. And when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, they get palm branches. Now, why would they do that? Branches of palm trees, it's, it would be, for Americans, like waving an American flag. The palm branch was a national symbol. Palm branches would put, were put on Jewish coins during the time. Palm branches were used in different worship festivals at the temple. So it was a very Jewish way to celebrate and they're celebrating Jesus as a Jewish king. They're celebrating him as a savior for us. As a savior for the Jewish people. And they say these words of praise. Now look at what they say. Look with me. There it is. Uh, in verse 13. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. What does Hosanna mean? It's a Hebrew expression from Psalm 18. When it's in Hebrew, it means, save us, we pray. And they took the Hebrew word and spell it with Greek letters, and it's Hosanna. It's a Hebrew expression spelled with Greek letters, Hosanna. And so they're, by shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're saying, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. And this was a song in their Bible. Okay? It was a song they sang. They sang it in Hebrew. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Save us, we pray. And the rest of the psalm, Psalm 118, the, the couple verses after it sound like this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They say that. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. They praise the God who has made his light shine. Now, there are a couple literary ironies here, okay? Literary irony is when people are saying something, but they don't know really what it means. They're saying, save us, save us, save us, and they're really happy But John is straightforward in explaining they have no idea what it means and how Jesus is going to save them. They are thinking in a political way. They are thinking in a military way. And they're happy in saying, Lord, save us, save us, save us. You've given us this prayer to say. You've given us this song to sing. And we recognize it now. And we think it's Jesus. Save us, save us, save us, O Lord. Save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. And they have no idea God is going to save them, but they have no idea how. And Jesus enacts this prophecy. It's recorded. Uh, The way to quote, to to, uh, bring a prophecy to mind in the ancient world was to quote a piece of it. They didn't number the chapters. They didn't number the verses. Did you know that? That came much, much later. Okay, these, these books were written without chapters and verses, and the way to bring something to mind is you quote a piece of it. And so they, John quotes for us a piece of Zechariah 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem, the city. Jerusalem, God's city, your king is coming but sitting on a donkey. And here's what's ironic about that. The king is coming, and in the prophecy in Zechariah 9, he's a ruler. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, and he shall speak peace to the nations. A king is coming for Israel, and guess what? His rule is going to be over the earth, and he's going to bring a peace for the world, and yet, it's in Zechariah 9, He comes humbly. How do kings normally come? They come on cool-looking war horses. They come with symbols of power. They come with chariots. They come with a horse dressed in battle. And yet Jesus, acting out the prophecy in Zechariah 9, 
which John is honest, was like, yeah, this happened. We didn't realize what was happening at the time. We didn't realize what was going down until later. Jesus comes not in power, but humbly. Jesus comes not with flash, but in a very lowly way. And he rides in, and the people have no idea what is happening. He will bring peace to the earth, but the crowd, this is the crowd, some people in this crowd are going to turn on him and are going to chant something very different in a few short days. And Jesus comes humbly to fulfill his destiny from God. And the, the other irony is this. Did you, did you see this at the end? The Pharisees are like, this is nuts. Okay, look, you're gay. we're trying, they want to shut this down. The religious leaders are like, don't yell for Jesus. Don't, what, are, what is everybody doing? Can, can everyone please stop? And they're muttering to each other, look, it, it's pointless. Look, the whole world's going after him. And they think they're being dramatic. Oh, the whole world's going after him. Like, look, look how crazy this is. It actually will happen. They're, they think they're being dramatic in an exaggerated way. Guess what? Because it's God's plan, the world will go after him. The world will be drawn to him. And he will, despite no matter what you do, he will be lifted up throughout history and around the world. Jesus is lifted up, and yet he's put down. How does the world go after him? And, and what does this begin to look like? Look at what happens next. Follow along as I read the next paragraph. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now pause here for a second. I think John wants us to see two things, okay? The crowd, the crowd is everyone, guys, it's happening. God is bringing salvation to us. God is bringing salvation to us, and look, we're part of it. We're waving the palm branches. We're singing the songs. It's going to happen. That's not what makes Jesus say it's going to happen. The crowd's saying, hey, it's on because we're celebrating. Jesus says, yes, this is on. God is going to move because the Greeks asked to meet him. And what's happening is this. Look, there is a God-given expectation for Israel. The God-given expectation and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved by God, and not just saved for themselves, but saved to be a light for the world. The God-given hope for Israel was that they would be saved to be a light for the nations. This is in their scriptures. Many times. One of the places is in Isaiah 49. In the end of the book of Isaiah, there's this mysterious servant of the Lord. And the servant is going to come, and he's going to bring Israel back. He's going to save Israel. But God says this of this mysterious servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus knows that his destiny is to bring God's goodness and salvation to the ends of the earth. Look at us. Here we are, what, 20, uh, 21 centuries later, speaking a language that wasn't developed, 
a totally different people group, and I'm telling you about this. Jesus said, and the Bible predicts, that his news is going to spread throughout the world. And it's happened. I just read this book where uh, a guy was interviewing these Chinese Christians in the mid-90s, and they were so isolated from the rest of the world, they honestly asked, and this was a house church network of 10 million people. Okay, we're not talking like 200 people in a warehouse in Philly or 200 people in an Elks Lodge. We're talking a house church network of 10 million. Some of the people in that house church network, because China is so huge and so geographically isolated, they were like, are there like other Christians in the world? Are there? And the guy who wrote the book, of course, told them, yes, there are Christians all, actually all over the world and all different parts of the world. And I happen to be from this country where there's actually these countries that celebrate the birthday of Jesus. They call it Christmas, and it's a big deal in like the whole country. And the Chinese Christians were like, this is blowing our mind. They like got up and like danced. They got up and like, they were just like, this is, you, you just, wow, that's amazing. And there's churches everywhere, and, there's, and you're like free. There's, there's places in the world where like you don't have to hide to go to church. Like people just do it and they build churches and they put big crosses on the top and it says to the world this is a church. That's crazy. I've never heard anything like that. That's the that's the best. And the guy who wrote the book told them uh, they're filled with joy and he also told them about places where it was completely illegal to believe. And the Chinese Christians, they both rejoiced and interceded in a way that would completely humble for us for the places where you're not allowed to be a Christian. And all the Muslim nations and all the places where it's like completely illegal. And they said, now that you've told us about this, we will pray for them to hear the good news of Jesus for the rest of our lives. It's on. We're going to pray for them now. So John puts us, in, puts us in here because the Greeks here, and, and this is what's great about it, I, I think why John included this detail, because you have to ask, he selected these things very carefully. John thinks it's going to be like a basic thing that Jesus' followers will continue to bring others to Jesus. John's like, you know, this is kind of a cool detail to, to put in here. Because Jesus' followers are going to introduce Jesus to others. And he records that the Greeks, see how he records it? The Greeks went up to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Why does he remind everybody where Philip's from? Philip's from a region where there are a lot of Greek speakers. And the Greek speakers were like, oh, you're a Galilee guy. You've got the Galilee accent. I can tell that you've hung out with some Greeks. Maybe I could approach that Israelite. He talks like a Greek. He, his Greek is good like ours. I'm, I'm going to ask him, since he's lived amongst a lot of people like me, if he, would you bring us to Jesus? Could we meet Jesus? Now, um, you're doing the by name campaign, right? And the by name campaign is to think about who is in my life that I could introduce to Jesus. And by, by saying it's, it's Philip and Andrew, okay, remember, Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. He figured out a little bit about who Jesus was, and he's like, you know what, i got to go bring a family member. And he brought his brother named Simon, and Jesus was like, it's nice to meet you, Simon. I'm going to change your name to Cephas, which means rock, Peter. In Greek, Andrew and Philip bring others. Philip had already brought Nathaniel. They, they had figured out that being a follower of Jesus was to going to continue to bring others to Jesus. There's people who are now in covenant at Liberty East 
who at this time last year, their name was on a card. And someone was like, basically like, God, you've put this person in my life to pray for, and I'm going to pray faithfully for them, and I'm going to try to initiate some conversation, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to tell them about Jesus. Now, this is a cultural moment where that's really tough to do. Okay, You can talk about cars that you like, your favorite sports team. You can talk about everything else, but it's like if you, it is true in this cultural moment, it's if, if you say, hey, I have some thoughts about Jesus, and I'm just really excited about it. I would like to tell you about it. It's, it's like someone passed gas or something in the room. It's like this awkward thing just happened. What, what are we going to do about that? Okay, that is true. But my challenge is to just love so well and be so humble and admit that you don't know all the answers, but share what you've got. Guess what? God works for, for that. Who does God typically use to bring others to Jesus? Is it the people that have been Christians the longest and that know most of the answers in the ESV study Bible and have read the most Christian blogs? Or is it the newer Christians that are just really excited about it? And like, you know, I don't understand everything and my life needs to change, but I just think, I actually think that Jesus is the Son of God. And have you ever thought about it? You should maybe... Check it out. God uses that guy every time. There was this kid yesterday at the incumbent class at Liberty East. He'd been a Christian for about 90 seconds before he showed up at the class. He became a Christian this year. He's a college student. And he's just like, yeah, uh, man, crazy year. It's like crazy. My life's changing. Uh, stuff's happening about kind of like the way I think about everything. And he also had this peace and joy. Now, what's going to happen with that kid at Temple University? It's going to just kind of bubble out of him as he hangs out with people. And we're supposed to be intentional about it, but feel the challenge of it. Pray for people by name. Seek to introduce people to Jesus. Because this is the thing. John, the Apostle John, who knows this, he knows that at the end, Jesus flat out says to his disciples after his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Liberty Harrisburg, your mission statement to live, speak, and serve is the very presence of Jesus. That's not because just a bunch of guys sat in a room and thought up something that would look cool on a website. That's because the living God of the universe wants you to do that. It's because Jesus is real This is his word. This is his mission for your life. This is his mission for every church. This is what we seek to live out together and be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the hug of Jesus, uh, share the words of Jesus, live it out, and how we use our money, our time, our energy. It's real. And God even uses your screwed up witness. He will. He does. Was the person that led you to Jesus perfect? No. Did they probably have a lot of problems? Yes. Did God use them anyway? Yes. You're here at the Elks Lodge. Congratulations. You know? Look at this. The big... I think those get bigger. Every time when I, when I come, I'm like, was that really that big the last time I was here? I'm amazed. Those are amazing. You know? And here you are. Jesus' followers will continue to live, lift him up. Um... Jesus gets semi-cryptic here. He's like, it is happening. And he talks about the seed dying. Now, here's the thing about the seed dying. The seed literally does die. It disappears in the ground. And yet on the side of that is fruit. That's why it's perfectly appropriate. Jesus is going to die. His body will be cold. He literally will be put on the earth. And yet the other side of this, God releases this holy virus in history. And once you've really been infected by it, you'll have it. And people around you will see it if you've really got it. And you are. You're, you're supposed to, to give it away. And he's worth serving. He's worth loving. He's worth losing everything for. And that's why he, he gets really intense um, about hating your life. Why does Jesus talk about hating your life? 
Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Why does he talk about hating your life? Is this for everyone at junior high? Junior high, you hate your life, right? It's like the junior high verse. Do you hate your life? Congratulations. Have you ever talked to anyone who's like loved their life in junior high? Be like the rarest thing ever. Like, I had a great time, good friends. I was really secure in myself. No one says that, right? No one said, everyone's just like, I hate my life. You know, welcome to junior high. It'll get better. If you're in junior high and you're here today, it'll get better. What Jesus is talking about is like, compared to what you have in Jesus, you're willing to let go of everything else. You'd literally let go of your life in this world. And Jesus becomes everything to you. That's what it means. And it's real practical. If you see God's worth in your life, you will follow, you will serve And he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. He talks about serving and following. He talks about doing stuff. He talks about living it out. And we're supposed to actually live this out. Now, I've been, um, I've made this point with our congregation in Philadelphia. We have both dog and cat issues as disciples of Jesus. We have dog issues and cat issues. Okay, here's what I mean. We got some pet owners in the room. What happens when you tell your dog to do something? Typically, nothing, right? Unless you're one of those people, look, my dog's trained so well. Well, We're we're happy for you. Uh, Typically, sometimes the dog, a dog will want to do what you want to do to say, but he doesn't understand. You know, he gives you that sideways look. I'm trying to track with you here, but I don't know what you're talking about. You know the look I'm talking about? Okay, cats actually know exactly what you're talking about. They just don't care. That's actually science. There was, a, there was an article in the Huffington Post summarizing the research from an animal cognition journal. Cats really do know what you're saying. They just couldn't care less. It's just like, that's meaningless to me. I find you slightly amusing. And here's the discipleship issue, Okay. And I, I want to focus on, especially those of you who have been Christians for a while, uh, sometimes it is true. There are things about Jesus, about our salvation, about what we have in him, what it is to live it out. You're generally confused. You generally need to know more. You generally really do need to know how much you're forgiven. You just don't get it. You need to let it soak into your soul. You really do need to just understand more. Okay? Those are like the dog issues. You don't understand there's other areas of our lives, and we can't, let's, but let's admit this, where we do know. I'm actually sp- supposed to be living this out with my time. Yeah, this should probably affect, I should probably give, I should probably be generous. I should probably be serving in these ways. You actually know some things, but you're just f- failing to listen. There's a piece of you, you know what God wants you to do. You know what living and serving and following will look like. You're just hesitating to do it. And feel this push. Ultimately, is Jesus going to be lifted up in your life? If you know him, if you believe in him, and you live it out, it'll be apparent. Some of you know the Sunday school answers to say, but if you really evaluated your life, where would, are you following and serving? Are you just trying to avoid sin that would get you in trouble? But everything else, you just don't listen. Serve them. Follow them. Really seek to get it, believe it, and live it out. Isn't that God... What God wants? Do you think he'd show up in that? He would. And let me tell you where this is going. Jesus will be glorified in this world. He really will. The rest of the passage, which I actually just ran out of time to tell you about, he will be glorified in this world. All the fakers and the hypocrites, 
and the haters and the deniers. And we've got a piece of that. All of us have some of that up in us, right? Will one day be forced to admit the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus' glory, his worth, his beauty, his truth, it will be shown to the world. It really will. He is lifted up, and he is drawing all men to himself. Later in this passage, I'm just quoting this verse because we don't have time to read the next section. He says, he, when he is lifted up, he'll draw all humanity to himself. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He's talking about the cross, which was phase one of him being lifted back up to heaven. The cross, he's lifted up on the cross that he would lift you up. That he would die for your sins and you'd be his forever. Do you know that? Do you know it? All of John is about believing in him. Jesus invites people to believe. Uh, At the end of this chapter, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Do you know his light? Do you see how he's been lifted up for you? Have you come to him? Have you believed? We're going to come to the table Oh, the Lord's table with the bread and the cup where Jesus' body is broken for us, his cup, his blood shed for us. Jesus is put down, and yet he's lifted up for the world. Do you know him? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, speak to us, we pray. We, we do pray that we would live this out in a truer, more real way. We pray that our lives would lift you up. We pray that we would so know your grace, so know your forgiveness, so know our identity in you, that you would give us so much grace and change us so much that it would be true, that even though we do it imperfectly, our lives do lift you up. And I pray for this community of Liberty Harrisburg, I pray that they would lift you up in this region. We know that you are put down Uh, We pray that we'd be willing to identify with you. We'd be willing to stand with you and serve as your hands and feet in this region. Lord, lead us and feed us. I pray for those uh, who do not believe yet. I pray for those here in this room who are thinking this through, who are praying through it. Show them more of who you are and give them courage to believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.